You're watching the Mondays with Midja podcast. Midja is founder and CEO of Legal Leadership, a company specializing in the leadership training and coaching of lawyers. Get set to jumpstart your week with a shot of mojo as Midja and her guests talk all things life, love, and leadership. Hey, it's Monday and I'm Midja and welcome to the podcast all about life, love and leadership. I am in the studio this morning with Ben Cox, who is the CEO of the Gold Coast Hospital Foundation. And I want to welcome Ben to the podcast. Thank you, Midja. Welcome. So Ben, before I get a guest on the podcast, of course, I Google them and, and find out a little bit about their work history and sometimes go through their images and stuff on Google. Uh, something about yourself that I wouldn't have found out What's through my Google search. What's the number one thing? Number one thing you probably yeah. wouldn't found, find out about me on my Google search is I am a massive sneakerhead. Oh, really? Yeah. Lots of people don't know what sneakerheads are, but uh, we're this, this subculture, often kids who grew up in the 80s and 90s who are obsessed with basketball culture, shows like The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes. Um, like Jordan, like absolutely. Nike Jordan, that kind so of thing. So I have yeah. nearly 100 pairs of uh, Air Jordan shoes in my collection. Um, some of them are classics going back to the 90s, vintage shoes. Others I've collected from around the world. Um, some of them, my most oh, valuable yes. pairs, nearly worth ten thousand um, dollars. Wow! So you don't. So they're not what you wear, Ben. I know I wear them. You wear yeah, them as absolutely. well. Absolutely, have lots in okay. my rotation. Uh, some that I just absolutely love that I will never wear, and and we have terminology as well. So you have a pair that you rock, and you have a pair that you stock, um, oh. so that you keep forever and you never let see the light of day. But uh, yeah, something I, I just love. I'm passionate. Love the color, the design, the smell, the leather. Have you got a brand that you it's uh, kind Nike, of a brand? Nike, Nike is all okay. the way for me. Um, and Nike owns the Jordan brand, but yes. Jordan was the preeminent basketball player growing up. I loved his work ethic, the whole cultural phenomenon around him as an athlete, as a movie star, as an endorser of commercials, his crazy clothing, that, that hype and the colour of the 90s. And oh. yeah, the Air Jordan 1 Nike high top is my number one go to shoe. There you go. Something I didn't know. That's right. Because I haven't seen you rocking these at events that we've been to together. Well, actually, giving day, I had three pairs of shoes. I wore the very sort of standard yes, uh, Chelsea boots. boots. And yes. then as I got a little bit tired in the middle of the day, uh, the, the Nike low-cut waffles, waffle shoes came out. Um, Phil Knight, the guy who founded Nike, used to import uh, Onokatsu Tigers, put the Nike swoosh on them, and then get a Jaffel iron change the sole um, and that's the sole that you see on lots of Nikes and then as we were closer to our target I brought out my very most favourite pair of Air Jordan 1s and uh, wore them for the last hour so uh, they, they, in a CEO life you don't get to rock the uh, Jordan no. 1s very much. So you could yeah. really celebrate that's right yeah. with, the, with the shoes on. Tell us a little bit about uh, Giving Day and about your um, the foundation itself, its mission, its purpose yeah. um, and why for you? Why that organisation? Absolutely. Well, um, Gold Coast Hospital Foundation, what what an amazing organisation. I don't say that because I am the CEO. I say that because every day I see the impact we as a team, as an organisation, as a community of donors have on the sickest and most vulnerable here on the Gold Coast. You know, Midja, uh, what I've learned about the Gold Coast in the last three years is we're a community of haves and have-nots. Right. We, we are a people that um, 
you know, live on islands, have yachts, own apartment buildings, are some of the richest in the country. Mm-hmm. But we also have a sprawling middle class and a lot of lower class people. And in that are people who are fighting high rates of heart disease, diabetes, mental illness. Um, we have the busiest emergency department in Australia I right th- here I on the coast. I heard that statistic yeah. and it really, you know, I would just think it would be like Sydney, Melbourne, one of the other hospitals, but... No, to be Gold Coast. It's right here. And uh, in fact, um, uh, Melbourne is the next closest, 9,000 admissions per month to ED. We're at 15,500. Wow. So when you think about that, that's where the Gold Coast Hospital Foundation, 25 years someone said this is not good enough. How do we give anyone who visits our amazing city, how do we give anyone who comes to our hospital a fighting chance at life, whether you're a millionaire living on an island yeah. Whether you are someone living on the streets of the Gold Coast, everyone deserves a fighting chance at life and that's what we do as a foundation. We put the most cutting-edge equipment into the hospital's hands, from plasma blades to do open-heart surgery to special incisionless surgery machines to beautiful hospital spaces, even running services like getting people to hospital when they need to fight cancer. Yes. And we do that without a lick of government funding, all on the generosity of the community and and that's where, for me, days like we've just reflected on Giving Day, where yes. we get together, we throw corporates in front of phones for 12 hours, we bring people on board and we get out there, we call the community and we raise $200,000 to change lives. It's phenomenal. And, and that's what I do every day. It's the privilege that I have to, to empower a team of passionate individuals, of volunteers, of hospital workers, of researchers to go, how do we do better? How do we make lives better? How do I give everyone the best version of me so they give the best version of themselves to people who are fighting for their lives? So in, in leading a team like that, and I know you've, you've held various leadership positions you know, throughout your career, and particularly in the not-for-profit space, talk to me about what you bring to the leadership role, what you feel is is some of the most important characteristics or the most important part that you play in bringing together an, a team like that? Yeah, look, when you work in the not-for-profit sector, and, and as you've highlighted, I have from Cerebral Palsy League, MS Queensland, Royal Children's Hospital Foundation, Legacy, um, I'm on the board of Variety Queensland, you meet passionate people. Mm. And passion is amazing. Passion has, you know, uh, given us some of the greatest love stories, the greatest movies, the greatest books ever written. It's found cures for diseases that we never thought we'd cure. It has transformed lives, but it also is hard to bottle and to direct. <laughs> and I have often been, as a, as a young employee in an organisation who has, who's lived through tragedy himself, been one of the most passionate people, not understood how do I channel that in the right direction? How do yes. I tap into that when I need it, but know when to turn it off when I don't? And my experience in that leadership space in not-for-profit has been about how do I invest in people so they are investing in themselves and in our mission. And and it's a real notion of how do I serve the mission? How do I deliver what is really, in my opinion, servant leadership? And I've had bosses who are the most egotistical people who drive amazing outcomes, who are hammering you on KPIs, who are pushing you on sales targets and trying to drive these outcomes, but they never allowed you to be you. Yes. They never really looked to who are you, what are your vulnerabilities and how are they your strengths? 
And I think the challenge for me in leading a not-for-profit team is to not to look at emotion and feeling and connection to a mission and cause as a weakness. To not see vulnerability as something we need to close the door on and eradicate in an organisation. But in actual fact, vulnerability is strength. And it's been a challenge for me in leadership because every notion of, of old school traditional leadership is get rid of that. Yes. Push that away. Mm-hmm. Manage your people. Put values on a laminated piece of paper and stick it on a wall. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, bring a consultant in to push out the values that people have and align them with your own. When in actual fact, I find the greatest thing I've been able to do as a leader is go, no, let's understand what your values are. Mm. Let's understand how they contribute to what we do. Let's look at your vulnerabilities. Let's look at my vulnerabilities as a person and understand how that can shape good decision-making and good leadership and not view it as a, as a crutch or a, or a weakness that prevents us from, from being great. Mm. So I know you talk a lot around you know, the mentoring space yeah. and the role of, of mentor and leadership, and I think it's, it's certainly a... Uh, you know, a word that gets thrown around a lot. And uh, from your perspective, I'd like to get what you what you consider mentoring to be. Yeah. Mentoring for me can fall into a couple of things. I, I think when I've when I've been a, um, a mentor and I've mentored poorly, I've become a friend. Ah, uh, yes. And I've crossed that line between um, being able to provide professional advice, navigating um, thoughts and feelings in a professional framework to actually becoming a good friend of someone. And some of those are my closest friends, yeah. now, which is wonderful. <laughs> so out of failure, you can get wonderful relationships Absolutely. and friends. Yes. Um, but I think for me, mentoring and how it was set as an example for me started on uh, a couple of days after my 13th birthday. And uh, growing up, I'd, both my parents had passed away. Um, mum, Dad died when I was 10 and mum died when I was 12 years old. So I was orphaned from a very young age. And I was living with my grandmother in a small um, country town. And like most teenage kids, I had a wonderful face going through adolescence of um, prepubescent, <laughs> as, as we would call it in that town, bum fluff um, or wiry <laughs> hair and... I had no not idea. Not like not like now. No, with no, that, rocking this yeah, uh, very rocking mature that beard, beard now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had a gentleman who knocked on the door of the house, and he was a volunteer from an organisation called Legacy. He was a legatee, and legatees were mentors. They were veterans, um, and my dad had served in Vietnam. He was a veteran himself, and this gentleman who never knew my dad, never served with him. He'd served in Vietnam though, and he knocked on the door, and he was speaking to my grandma, and I was like, "Who's this weird?" creepy looking dude you know um, what's he doing at the front door that's right and i could see he had something in his hand and then i heard him say to my grandmother could i have the privilege of teaching ben how to shave and it just rocked my world still even today makes me emotional where he came in and he had a uh, an old school shaving brush he had this lather i don't know what it was but i tell you what when that lather hit my face it burnt more than the first time the (laughs) razor went across my skin um he steadied my hand and he taught me how to shave and it was a rite of passage that i should have had with my father but because he wasn't there yes and this beautiful man alan stepped into my life and did that and alan became my first mentor Someone who could see when I was at my lowest that he just needed to be there with advice to listen, Mm -hmm. to listen more than he needed to talk, um, to help give me some hard wisdom. 
when I wasn't looking for it and to give me some soft wisdom when I was looking for hard wisdom. But he really was the epitome in a volunteer organisation and an individual who said, I have a body of knowledge and a skill set. I have learnt things in my life. And without being a formalised coach, without being a, a professional guide, I can give you the left and right of how to navigate in this instance life and puberty and adolescence and being a teenage kid. And he was. He was there for me in great moments. And the moment I looked at mentoring in a professional capacity, I started to reflect on those mentors in my life. I love that. Mentors who could find that balance between I need to be friendly, but I don't necessarily need to be friends. Yes. Mentors who could understand that oftentimes the issues you put in front of you are not the issues that you need to be solved mm. or you're wanting to be solved. You know, me talking about issues with bosses with good mentors, well, actually, Ben, this is a challenge of what do you want to do in your career and how are you going to get there? Yes. Um, because you're going to challenge, meet challenging people like this everywhere. Um, and for me, mentoring became the most critical step in becoming a leader, becoming an effective employee, by becoming a more rounded person because I could see that qualification gave me technical skills, um, professional development, going and doing short courses, leadership versus management, great, all good. But mentoring was that gap in that coaching, um, um, uh, professional guidance that, that mixes between the two of the professional, the technical, and the personal and the feeling that we just don't often get. Yes. Have you always had a mentor then, Ben? Have you always had someone in that space for yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, probably uh, the gap that I didn't have a mentor was when I was at university. Yes. And that was when I was the most lost. Right. So in my early part of my life, I had great mentors in Alan and, and an uncle and an aunt who were just phenomenal. Coming into university, I didn't have anyone. I didn't have a lecturer, I didn't have good guides and I made lots of silly decisions. (laughs) I started out as a journalism student. I didn't like that because I had to report that a cat was stuck in a tree, not a beautiful black cat with shiny fur (laughs) in an elm tree. and um, It suppressed the grief. Stick to the facts, That's right, stick to the facts. I wanted to know the story and the storytelling and what it felt like for the owner. (laughs) It's why I'm in not-for-profit now. Um, But I I lacked good guidance in that space and I was lost. I was lost until I found a good mentor um, in uh, a wonderful man, Kerry Gallagher, who um, was CEO of AMA Queensland, um, uh, and Trevor uh, Taylor, who uh, was the CEO of Legacy Brisbane, who pulled me aside and could see that I was lost and was able to provide guidance. And they fell back into that regular catch-up, that mentoring framework. And from them on, I've always made it a point of whenever I hit career milestones, whenever I think it's calm sailing and whenever it's not, how am I finding the right mentors to take me on that next step of the journey? I was going to ask that for people that are listening around who maybe don't have that that mentor, that that person in their space, how to go about f- like finding a mentor, finding the right person for where you're at right now. Any tips for people? Like how have you done that in your yeah, career? Yeah, mentoring I think is unfortunately a lot like dating. Um, <laughs> I think one of the best things – so I'm on the journey of finding a new mentor right now. Right. So I've been in a CEO role for three years. It's my first CEO gig. Um, okay. They say it's no better to the, 
in a role to start than knee deep in the mud. I, I wish that was not the case, but COVID was that for me. Oh, of course, um, losing seventy five percent of our income in uh, wow. less than six months. You know, knowing can we deliver amazing outcomes for the community? But after that, I'm going. What is the next step for me? How do I get better at driving the organisation forward and making myself the best leader wherever I go into the future? Mm. And it becomes really challenging because for me, I think the first step is what is the professional organisation or sector that you're in and do they have a mentoring program? So I work in not-for-profit. The Fundraising Institute of Australia, of which I'm on the board, has a professional mentoring program. Great place for me to start. Chartered accountants have that. Lawyers have that. Small business networks, chambers of commerce. There's professional um, groups that you can go to in that space. Um, In that, you've got to have your first fact-finding coffee catch-up. Yes. That is not so much about... Are you a good fit for them? It's are they a good fit for you? Yes. Knowing what you want to achieve, but I think you need to go in with 50% of what do they need to do for me, but 50% of I can't assume that they're going to tick every box for me because in actual fact what they're going to do is help me find the other 50% of the things that I need to understand that I need to solve. I've often uh, had mentees who come in and go, I just want to know how to do a strategic plan, how to deliver mission values and I'm like well go get a consultant because I'm not going to do that uh, yeah absolutely yep but can I explore the things you don't understand that you can't deliver can I explore how that makes you feel can I explore so you've got to have that exploratory meeting and then be a professional if it's a fit great let's mm. kick it off if it's not that's okay if you're struggling and you don't have that professional network start to look within LinkedIn find those people who you admire send them a DM the most flattering thing I've ever had in my whole career is when someone DM'd me on LinkedIn and said, you look amazing. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Are you talking about my picture of my career? Um, and uh, would you be my mentor? Yeah. So let's slow down. Let's take a deep breath. Let's have a phone call. And I do mentor that person now. But yes. it's where, hey, worst case scenario, just reach out. As I'd say, the young kids would say, slide into those DMs. Slide into the DMs. I love that. And talk to them. Yeah, it's you not just admire. for dating. That's right. And similarly, Ben, I've, I know for myself and other people I know who have had that same experience, and it's one of the things I tell you know, young professionals often is that please just have the audacity to ask because most people I know, like yourself, like me, flattered when someone says, hey, can I spend the day with you? Could I, can I shadow you? Can I find out this? Can I have a coffee? Can I... Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And, and it's um, – so have the audacity to ask and to reach out. That's right. And I, I want to get back to something, Ben, because it's something that I often hear leaders talk about. So coming into a leadership role, particularly a CEO role, when uh, it's not ideal. So when, you know, the circumstances, the environment, whether it be from a results point of view or an external COVID point of view, um, what do you do, like as a leader, when you're stepping into a space and it's not an ideal space to step into? What are kind of the steps that you go through or what's – so what's the formula there for you? From – a, a couple of things I'd, I'd, I'd say on that. Number one, you've got to be in the right headspace. Right. Yep. Mental strength and, and perseverance. I mean, 
I just see so many people who have it's the wrong choice of words, but who who, who feel like they failed and feel like they've been broken over the last two years. And I felt like that. I've had my lowest days, but being able to invest in the systems, the, the rituals, the processes, whatever they are for you to make sure your head and heart can be in the right place at the right time to persevere through the most challenging times is so critical. And often we only do it when we are knee-deep in the mud. Yes. And we don't do it when the times are good. And I think what I've been fortunate enough to learn through through trauma growing up and, and through suffering is when times are good is when I need to invest in myself the most. Mm. Finding those daily rituals, whether it's, you know, like I have a ritual where the first 10 minutes when I get to work, I do 10 minutes of mindfulness. Yeah. I'm not a spiritual guy. I'm not a spiritual guy, but um, I find 10 minutes to get myself in the right space to start the day. At lunch, I do the same thing. That's my lunch break. 10 minutes of mindfulness and 10 minutes of mindfulness before I go home. Mm. So I'm in home mode that I'm switching off, I'm detaching, I can be the best husband, I can be the best friend. Um, Having those rituals, those systems and processes that when you are at your worst, you can actually be at your best are so, so critical. Eating right, exercising, whatever those things are for you, staying off the drink (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or having it when you most need it. But I've found that, you know, over COVID I lost 30 kilos of weight, not because of stress, because I knew it was when I needed to invest in my health and have that right because if that started to fail how could I deliver I think then it's about understanding and reflecting on and for me I started to look at who were great leaders in history who had to lead in moments of great crisis I started to read things about Winston Churchill not necessarily the greatest human being (laughs) alcoholic and, and crazy dude but delivered amazing things I looked at Barack Obama who was trying to change the world when he had no power in the Senate to get things yes. through, so how could he change public opinion? I looked at great military leaders and everything that I saw was you led from the front. You weren't the person who was standing back in the trench, you imagine in World War One, blowing the whistle and charging, go over the chop, <laughs> charge into the enemy fire and I'll be right here safe and sound <laughs> drinking my cup of tea. They were the first to climb over the top and run into the fire. Yes. And to me, that's what I learned when you're in an, in a challenging situation. You need to be the first on the phone out there. You need to be in every planning session. You need to be there, um, you know, starting that Zoom session and engaging with the team. You need to bring the ideas of how we can do things differently. You need to be constantly investing in others so they can then do that. Because the moment you start doing that, you start to create the first followers. Yes. And, and and a lot of us have read about this first follower thing and I yes. think as a leader we don't put enough weight in that. When you lead by example, you unify everyone to the mission. What is it that we're trying to do? Oh, we need to help the sick and vulnerable on the Gold Coast. Okay, that's what we need to focus on. Yeah. That's all we need to focus on. Everything else will get lost in noise. Right, what's Ben going to do? Ben's going to do this, this, this and this. Right, well, I can do this, Ben. I can step up. Great. Well, that's actually what we want. We want that first follower to go, I believe in the mission. I don't know how we're going to get there. I'm freaking out. But if Ben's doing something, I'm going to do something. Yeah, love that. And then my job's to step back. My job's to embrace that first follower and celebrate them and go, right, look at what Midger's doing. Midger's doing, hey, who's going to follow Midger? Who's behind this? Mm -hmm. That's a great great idea. What are we going to do? That momentum, that swell that comes from that. That's right. And then who's the first follower that Midger's going to embrace? Yes. And then we have lots of leaders and we have lots of people where I as a leader can sit back and go, oh, my God, lucky we got through that. 
like <laughs> we had the first follower. The moment you try to do it on your own, to me, is that moment where you're going to start to fail. Yes. Because you it connects so much with, you know, the point you've, you've said around that servant leadership, uh, you know, that holding the space of being of service, you know, to others and, and that vulnerability space as well around putting yourself out there first around that. Absolutely. And I love that notion. I, I, I haven't spoken about that for a long time, that, that first follower. Yeah. It's immensely notion. powerful. It's immensely powerful. Everyone should look up the uh, YouTube clip of the dancing man on the hill. I have not seen so that. So there's this great clip on YouTube and, and, and I'll try and keep it brief. But I'll put a link in the show notes to it as well. I will, it, yeah. It's, a, it's a, a really poorly shot video at a festival. It's a muddy hill and there's a big, <laughs> quite generously um, uh, shaped man with no shirt on. And there's this weird dance beat song playing and it's a shaky video. I'm sure it's a flip phone <laughs> or something. And this guy runs and starts dancing and no one else is. And everyone is ridiculing him. Everyone is laughing at him. Yes. And then one brave guy gets up and starts dancing. And do you know what the first man who started dancing did? He embraced him. And he celebrated him. And he thanked yes. him for joining him. And you started to see momentum. And then another person came over. And three or four came over. And then the whole hill is erupting of thousands of people dancing. And it's this beautiful moment in leadership I love where that. the first guy had the courage to follow an idea. But the second guy had the courage to follow that idea. Yes. And it took the first leader to turn around to the second leader and go, thank you. And embrace them and show them that it's okay to be up here with me. And momentum was created. It is it is beautiful. It is elegant. It is I can't wait courageous. To watch I love that. it. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Every Monday morning, start your day that way. Because <laughs> the moment you reject your first follower, the moment you're gonna lose, but the moment you embrace them, everything's gonna change. Love that. So I also want to talk a little bit better around, you know, short term versus long term paradigms or, or perceptions, particularly in uh, the leadership space. And I know for myself, this is a relatively new podcast and I was feeling a bit ho-hum about I'm like, oh, it's only got that many downloads. I think it was after four episodes and something came up on my Instagram feed. It was an American woman and someone was asking her around the success of her podcast and the amount of downloads and the difference she'd made with her podcast and what the secret was. And this woman said, uh, I've been podcasting every week for nine years. That's how you build a podcast and make a difference. And I was like, oh, it's been four weeks, Midge. Maybe <laughs> uh, pull that in and get down and do the work yep. and do that. Absolutely. And don't worry about anything else but – it feels right. This is the work I'm meant to do and just do it. So really interested about your views around this perseverance, consistency, kind of piece to leadership, life, results you get. Yeah. Perseverance is a, is a really good topic and I think it's a really relevant topic for now because I'm seeing lots of organisations through COVID going, wow, our values are really important and investing in people is actually really important. Mm -hmm. Um and we can do things when we invest in our people. And it's like, yeah, that's what we <laughs> should have been doing for hundreds of years. But I've also seen them make the mistake of put something into their values around resilience. And I was talking yes. to a colleague about this and I said, resilience is the wrong word. And I get caught up in semantics. I'm a literary, literature communications graduate. Um, 
uh, not a journalism graduate, um, <laughs> and I get stuck on this word um, resilience. Resilient, resilience I see is Superman. Superman's standing there, you can shoot bullets at him, you can throw anything at him and they bounce off. But what's Superman feeling inside? Yes. Whereas to me, perseverance is, is Batman. Perseverance is Batman going, I'm just a normal person. Um, He can buy whatever he wants, but I'm just a normal person and no matter what happens, I can persevere through this because I'm focusing on the mission. I'm focusing on the outcome. For me, perseverance is really, really important in a balance between your personal life and your um, professional life because we are leaders in both capacities, whether you're a mum, whether you're a dad, a brother, a sister, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a head of a department, whether you're leading no team, whether you're just leading a project. For me, perseverance began when I was uh, 18 months old. Uh, when I was, uh, as, your, your, as your listeners have heard, I talked about losing my parents. Yes. Um, I've lost parents twice. So I've been an orphan twice. Okay. So um, I was born to a, a wonderful woman um, named Judy uh, in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, and uh, my father was not around at that time. Um, and Judy lived in a very poor family. They could hardly read or write. She couldn't raise me. So she gave me up, and I lived in an orphanage, and then I was raised by foster parents, and then I was adopted by two beautiful people, Pat and David. Mm. And I didn't understand until I was an adult that my journey around perseverance started when I was 18 months old. Wow. Um, It probably started when I had a mum who could barely afford to feed me. Yes. But then that journey changed. And that journey changed when Pat and David raised me and they gave me love and they gave me everything they could until cancer took them away from me when I was 10 and 12 years old. And then it was a beautiful woman named um, Phyllis, my maternal grandmother, who showed me what perseverance is, a woman who had lost a daughter, who had lost a husband, who had worked and toiled through the Great Depression, now raising a teenage boy, relying on <laughs> legatees to come in and teach him how to shave <laughs> and you know, making sure I wasn't out drinking in the small country town as a teenager and, and going through the trauma. And I, and I learnt perseverance from her. And it wasn't until I uh, started to go on a professional journey of becoming a professional fundraiser at the time marketing specialist, a corporate partnership specialist, that I started to realise that all those lessons in life that we learn around tragedies can give us two choices. Mm. One, we look at them and we go, right, the world threw me a, a, a bad hand or I had some bad luck, I'm just going to ignore that and move on. Or we could reflect on that and go, what did I learn from that? Mm. And to me, it's that self-awareness piece that is critical to perseverance. Perseverance isn't actually, to me, surviving all the crap life throws at you. It's surviving all the crap life throws at you, but actually understanding that what did I do to get through that? Mm. What were the systems and processes that I brought into play that helped me get through that? What were the technical things that I learned? Who were the people that I surrounded myself with? Um, What were the books that I read? What were the... Um, films that I watched, how did I use music, how did I use meditation, what did religion give me, what did religion not give me, Um, uh, how did I explore my health and well-being and to me you start to build a system. Um, 
But without knowing what that system is, you don't know how to draw upon it. Yeah. You don't know how to switch it on, switch it off. And that to me is around, we often build that professionally. We do it with some connection to our personal aspects. But that moment you can bring self-awareness mm. into it, that moment you could sit down and write down, what are my values? What are the things that are important to me? When you go into a job interview and go, do they match? That moment you can go, I'm hitting a hard time. What have I done in the past that has helped me get through that? And if you can't see that, we're in a little bit of trouble here. Yes. So focus less on what do I need to do now and focus on what did I do in the past to get through there. One of the best pieces of mentoring advice I ever got was document your first year as a CEO, keep a journal. I'll tell you right now, I hate keeping a journal, but (laughs) I did it. And I look back now and I have tough days and I read the toughest days that I had there and I've gone, there's my system I need to get through. There's what I did. There's what I didn't do. I listened to people. I sought advice. I got help. I exercised. I may have had 15-minute power naps under (laughs) my desk at work. Um, uh, But I found that I had already developed a system and that system had started when I was 18 months old. I was going to say, it it started very early in life. It did. And we all have that. And there was another great mentor, a young, uh, uh, not a young man, he's an old man now in his 70s, Chad Sharon, uh, a man who won the military medal. And that's the second highest medal to the Victoria Cross. He did it for leaving, leading an amazing thing in the Vietnam War, uh, an amazing ambush um, where his life was definitely going to be lost, but he survived. And Chad said something to me one day when I was having a tough time in my first ever job um, where he said... Um, Everyone has baggage, but what defines us is how we carry it. And I was like, 100%. And he showed me a picture of a person walking through an airport, just strolling through the day with a little briefcase, and he showed me another person with a baggage trolley, 50 (laughs) bags, a backpack on, sweat, trying to push through, and he's gone, they could have both had the same journey in life, but look at how that person's carrying it versus that person. And that was where I started to understand perseverance. What I have in my life is baggage. And people hear that and go, I'm so sorry, Ben. Why? I'm not. Yeah, okay. I'm not. It's got me to where I am today. Yes. People made sacrifices. I have enough self-awareness to understand the systems and the processes and and pull key learnings and feelings out of it so that when I get there in the future, when I inevitably hit the next roadblock and the next challenge, I can persevere because I know how to persevere. Yes. And that's what we should all be doing, understanding that the barrier baggage we have is not a burden it should be something we waltz through life because it gives us the roadmap, the lessons the techniques the skills everything we need to get through any challenge in the future mm. and i guess that's that's a part of that mentoring piece mm. that as a mentor you can do for others absolutely is asking the questions allowing them that space to go back and to consider when was talk to me about another time in your life when you faced a challenge or this happened yeah and remind people of that definitely and and look at as you said i love that 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 people have their own you know systems or scaffolding or foundation whatever you want to call it uh that they can come back to and i love the point you said earlier in the podcast around ensuring some of those habits that that cadence that rhythm if you like even when times are great, mm. when times are, re- are really good, because often sometimes with leadership I find that 
you know, in the great time, some of those routines, you know, the one-to-ones, the, the meetings, the, the exercise when your health is great and we're not worried about our health, that kind of stuff just goes does. by the wayside. Absolutely, yeah. And great discussion around that perseverance and resilience piece. Absolutely. And I think I, there's, a, there's a person I'm mentoring at the moment who's in their first um, – leadership role and I've given them I've given her the same advice about keeping that diary and she's been in it in the last three months and I feel like her reflection is it feels like it's been 12 months we've all (laughs) been there but she said I went back to my diary from my first week and I've gone I've gotten through the first week I can get through week you know 20 or 30 yes and it's just so powerful I think the other thing I was saying Midger is giving yourself the freedom to go it's okay not to feel okay yeah. It's completely fine. There's going to be moments where you don't love your job. Yep. You, your listeners will hear me going, I, I talking passionately about my role. There's times where I don't like it. There's times where I don't want to come into the hospital. Mm. There's times I don't want to meet another cancer patient because it's too close to home. There's yes. times where I go back to my office and I cry. And I cry about meeting someone who I know they're not going to make it through and there's nothing my organisation can do about yes. it. That's okay. It's completely yeah. okay. It means you're a human means what you do is important it means the things in life to you are important so mm. keep on going yeah the moment you don't care is when you need to move on yeah, yeah. it's almost as if sometimes as you said that uh, not allow the bullet to go in but but to feel that and to allow that feeling to be with you absolutely and to feel that yeah. um and then as you said to then do something with that feeling yeah. Uh, take action around that i think we could talk for another hour (laughs) then about all of this um now if you know the podcast you know that you know we talk about life Mm -hmm. and leadership but we also talk about love i'm on a bit of a mission to find a big love great uh, we're halfway through the year, Ben. I said this was my year. We have time still. We're only halfway through. Okay. So talk to me about love. Talk yeah. to me around, um, I don't know, your feelings about love, uh, maybe a, a story for you around, you know, when love has come into your life yeah. or any advice you might have for me. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, stories about love, I think um, – I have had an opportunity with 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 the journey of me in 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 my life to have experienced love every single step of the way. I remember the moment um, that uh, uh, my biological mother found me, tracked me down just before I got married in two thousand and nine, and she'd written hundreds of letters. She'd gone through an electoral roll every Ben Cox she could find and wrote a letter going, I need to talk to you, here's an email address. And I emailed her and uh, she said, there's no easy way to say this, I think I'm your biological mum. And all these feelings of, well, why did you give me up? And, and Did you know Ben, she was still alive? No, I had no, no so you, you, didn't I knew know, you knew nothing. You knew nothing. Nothing, okay. I just knew that I was adopted. Yes. And anyway, I reached out, we formed a relationship and I and after a few months I told her that, my parents had died who raised me. She was heartbroken. And I had this moment of reflection where I said, please don't think that I never knew love. I was always loved. Yeah. I always had it there, whether it was a grandmother, whether it was her, whether it was 
my um, adopted parents, whether it was my now wife, whether it was my best friends, love was always there. And yes. and I then began to reflect on, um, and in prepping for this podcast, Midja, about a story for love. Yes. What What is love? And, and I realised that love first came into my life. Um, I thought it was, and I will talk about my wonderful wife, but... I thought it was things from girlfriend to beautiful movies to to my parents, but I reflect on the greatest gift of love I was ever given was by my biological mum, who took me took me back to her family. She had no partner to help her raise me. I was a newborn baby. They could most of her family couldn't read and write. Mm. They were eating bread if they were lucky, butter and jam for dinner in the western suburbs of Sydney cold areas she couldn't raise me she had a choice to make and she had a choice to make that I think was one about me or her where I can keep Ben I can probably put him through as much suffering as I'm going through and I don't know if he and I will make it or I can show him the most unconditional love I can by giving him to someone else and letting them raise my child and it took me decades to understand that decision. Yeah. And it took me decades and even into my marriage to understand that that was what is important to me about every aspect of love we see in our life, that it is, that it is 100% unconditional. It is not given for want of reward yes. or reciprocation. It is given because it's what is most due. Yes. It is given because it is what is needed at any time. And, and being a literature student, there's a great quote from Shakespeare, I think it's Sonnet 116, that I, I love, which is, love is not love which alters when it alteration finds. And uh, it's something that my wife and I have reflected on constantly, going, we are going to have many things come into our life that are going to change, you mm-hmm. know. Um, jobs, family, uh, uh, weather events, pandemics, um, physical changes, um, uh, friends, family, but love should not alter when an alteration finds. It might flex, it might adjust, it might slightly tweak, um, but it is still going to be there. And that was the same thing that I then began to reflect on with that decision a woman who I'd never met made now 43 years ago to go, my love won't alter It'll still be there, but if it's still to be there, I need to let you go. And it's something that has resonated with me in my more adult life going, when I'm looking at advice um, for people who are trying to find love, you need to find love that is one worthy of you. Um, You need to be able to know that love is not something that should alter when an alteration finds. And it should be unconditional without want of reciprocation or without want of reward or any framework or conditions around it. And I would honestly say um, through a journey of misadventures, that's what I was able to find with my beautiful wife, Jackie, um, that uh, we have not been fortunate enough to be blessed with children, but our love hasn't altered. Yes. Um, We have challenges in terms of um, my weird background, her parents being divorced, we are statistically headed for a, a path, but we know we'll never get there because we are not going to alter in that yes. space. We will alter everything around it, but that's the one thing that will be constant and true. And I think the thing 
for me, Midge, when I reflect on others out there, you know, we joked about sliding into DMs. And <laughs> love is so damn complicated now and there's a whole perception of what it should be. Um, but for me, it's two things. It needs to be unconditional and it needs to be worthy of you. Yes. It 100% needs to be worthy of yeah. you. And those two things you should be uncompromising in. Yeah. Absolutely uncompromising. Yeah. And, and I think it is a piece that... It's it's funny. There's been for me. There's been a shift in myself this year. You talk about that that worthy mm. piece, and I just feel. And I know the cliche: love yourself yeah. before someone else can love you. But I feel like like the last sort of I don't know six years or so. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on myself yeah. and, and the business and. Yeah, through you know lo- losing both of my parents and the divorce and 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 stepping out of corporate and into my own sort of space, mm. there's been a lot of work <laughs> that I've done just for myself. Yeah, and I think that's been reflected in some of the dating that has gone on in the last few years, and I don't know, I've, I've felt a shift in yeah. myself this year to kind of go. Actually, like it's it's a no to that, or it's no, and it's to me it's that worthy piece. It is. I kind of yeah. almost feel like I'm just in the right space now. Absolutely. Uh, for that, so yeah, it's a different approach. It I'm going to take that with me, Ben. <laughs> I love it. I, I love, love it. that. Thank you. Thank no, you so welcome. much. My pleasure. So we end the podcast with I don't know, maybe a little bit of woo woo. I have my cards here. I have these packs of cards that I that I buy. Sometimes I use them for like workshops or even something mm-hmm. like at the end of a mentoring or coaching session. It's a little message from the universe, something that is coming your way. So I have two packs of cards. I have Carpe Diem or Dream. Mm-hmm. Which one for you, Ben, do you want to pick from? So we've got Seize the Day or Dream. Well, yes. I'm going on holidays immediately. This podcast, so I'm going to go dream. I Absolutely. Think. Okay, let's get them out. And they're little like pop up cards, so you can pick one of those and open the front band and tell us the message from the universe. Open the front. Now, this is the most challenging thing. Hopefully, I'll do today, which is opening this. <laughs> okay, are you ready for this? Ready. If you have a great ambition, take as big a step as possible in the direction of fulfilling it. Mildred McAfee. Wow. I love that. There we go, Ben. Absolutely. Something uh, to take to Mulaney with you. That's right. Well, the big step I'm going to take is in the direction of uh, (laughs) the hinterlands of Mulaney and a warm fireplace and a beautiful glass of Pinot Noir. Oh, that sounds absolutely perfect. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been an absolute delight. I do want to find out uh, from you if people want to connect either with yourself personally, the foundation, talk to us about best ways to do that. Absolutely. If you'd love to change the lives of the sick and vulnerable here on the coast, give everyone a fighting chance at life, um, uh, visit uh, gchfoundation.org.au. Um, and if there's anything I can help anyone in the journey with, please slide into my DMs. Um, just do it in my <laughs> LinkedIn um, you can find me, uh, you can search for me at Ben Cox or Benjamin. I feel yes. like I'm in trouble if people call me Benjamin, but it is it is my real name. Yes. Uh, Benjamin Cox at the Gold Coast Hospital Foundation on LinkedIn. 
send me a message, let's have a chat, let's grab a coffee, whatever I can do to help you, um, please. I've been helped by so many fortunate people. So listeners out there, if you want to catch up, let's do it. Thank you, Ben. Huge takeaways uh, for me from the episode today and I hope for our listeners as well. Uh, That is a wrap. I want to say I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Go out there and spread your magic in life and love and leadership. I'm Midja and thank God it's Monday. We trust you enjoyed this episode of the Mondays with Midja podcast. Host Midja Fisher is a leadership expert, keynote speaker, coach and facilitator. To find out more about Midja, visit midja.com.au or follow her on Instagram, Midja Fisher. And make sure you subscribe, share and leave a review. 